0: Hey guys, I'm Chris and I'm Mike. Sleepy Mike and welcome back to No Limits, the Scott Harvath podcast. How are you doing this week, Mike? (laughs) I think you need, uh, we need some Red Bulls, some igloo cooler full of Red Bulls.
1: Yeah, just like Scott Harvath and the boys here. I need some vitamin M, vitamin RB, some Motrin and some Red Bulls. No, I'm, I'm hanging in there. Last week, Talking the devil's hand, I was cranky, Mike. Now I'm. What'd you call me, Sleepy Mike? Sleepy Mike. We're getting the.
0: We're getting all the dwarfs
1: here. <laughs> but here's the deal: very different than our last few episodes. I am super high on this book, and Chris, I might just have a new favorite Brad Thor novel at the moment.
0: Wow, wow! I mean, this. You know, it's funny. We were talking. A couple pods ago. I guess after we did um Last Patriot? No, not the Last Patriot. Um I guess after we did Takedown, we both really liked mm. Takedown. And we knew we really liked Full Black. And so we were both talking how the books between those two <laughs> we couldn't really remember the plots and like you right. know, is is that because they're not always say, like unimportant and throwaway. Just like it didn't really leave a mark on me. And you know, First Commandment, Last Patriot, they're okay. But this one, I don't know why I, I I remembered it once I started reading it. I remembered all the Afghanistan stuff. I remembered Baba G. And I will have to agree with you. It's it's definitely one of like a, a underrated Brad Thor novel. It's I got some. I, I, I don't think I would put it in the top. I don't know. I don't know we'll see where it comes out, but. And we can get to it whenever we do, but I really think I like large portions of this book. But then there's other portions that I just, I don't understand that are there, but mainly being the, the president plot line. Like we, we need to get into that. Um, yeah. but yeah. yeah, no, I, I really liked the Afghanistan stuff. And I guess just to, I don't know. Do we have any uh, admin, or do you want to jump right into sort of the backstory of this novel?
1: I want to jump right into this book. All I had to say is that I have another autographed copy of it, and we're going to give that away to a patron. So I went ahead and spun that wheel, and we got Kevin B. Kevin B., the winner of an autographed book, The Apostle. And honestly, Chris, I say we just keep rolling because I want to talk about this book. And you're entirely right. Very few things I would critique— that's one of them, but I was really – you know me. Sometimes I get stuck on the nitpicks, and I can't sure. get over them, and yep. they really stand out to me. There were so few in this book, and the few that happened, I am willing to just completely erase and move on from. They didn't, they didn't give me any hangups, and you know me. If I'm going to get hung up on something I don't like in a book, it's going to stick with me. And This book, I was able to roll right through it. Complete buy in, start to finish, and the few critiques I come up with at the end didn't really detract from my enjoyment of the novel, and that's very rare for me. So I I think that's saying something.
0: Yeah, I think two things I really want to highlight are first, like the the heightened realism of this novel. Yes, you know, especially the the uh, Harvath plotline, like Scott's plotline, super well detailed. You could. Definitely tell the research that's going into it. And I think coupled with that is how Brad is able to use Afghanistan as a character. And, you know, I haven't never been there, but I could tell he had like, you know, this appreciation for it, but also like, you know, wanted to highlight, you know, these ideas of what this country is, what it, what it could be. How we get there, and you know, you found this article. Well, one we have the, the five facts which we have to go through, but a second article highlighting kind of all about Brad. I think it came out around the time of Last Patriot and, and this novel, talking about him, talking about his research, talking about the time he spent in the special operators um, union or special operators, special forces. I don't know some operator special forces operation over there to get research for this novel or just to get research in general. And one of the things that he says in the novel is the fact that this is the way we win the war. And this is a question I want to, I want to talk to you about because it's very, obviously very prescient being that the war end quote unquote ended last year, but we win the war by connecting with the villagers and, you know, going village to village building relationships. And I think that came through and I, I almost feel like this novel is a, was his way of uh, sort of commenting on what we were doing there, what we should be doing there. And I would love to know like what Brad thinks about how it all ended last year. You know, I'm sure he's not happy about it. Like, you know, Jack Jack, Jack Carr is very public about like how it ended. Mm -hmm. It's very sad to see that any of the progress that you could say was made was literally overnight was stripped away. You know, and it, it kind of this book kind of ends with this idea of optimism, and to know that twelve years later, this book came out in two thousand ten. Twelve years later, that that optimism is is now all gone. Mm.
1: You know, we got to see Brad's commentary on that in Rising Tiger a bit. I would say, opening with Scott in Afghanistan during the pullout, right? And right. and so yeah, it, it's kind of like it makes this book and this plot bittersweet in that we know what's going to come for the people and the villagers they're fake right it's crazy these these characters we met in the villages and you know with this code of honor the Pashtun Vali this you must be welcoming you must defend your guests you must treat them with honor and how many times Scott sits down and have have, how much he has tea with the villagers I think he has tea as
0: many times as he has Red Bull which is a lot
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's right that's right And I think you're right. The hyper realism is better than we've seen in any other Brad Thor book. But it's also deeper. It's it's connecting on a real human level instead of what and we've been honest about it, Brad, in the past on these zingers or one liners that are, you know, we're not going to talk about it much, but but that are inflammatory in a sense. And here I think He's going a step further since he met the people. He sat down with them and 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 broke bread and had tea with them. Putting that in your novel is so much more powerful than trying to put in a political statement. Sure. You know one's just about your perspective and one is about your relationship with the other. And I think this book does that perfectly well. And you're right it all comes back to this article that that we read. I'm going to put this in the thro- uh, I'm going to put this in the show notes. It's just so great, and it's it's on Brad Thor's. It's great, yeah. It's on Brad Thor's website. The thrill of writing in the trenches, and he's talking about how he was embedded with this team. They didn't drive around in big armored convoys, you know, making themselves known. They they drove around in, you know, vehicles you would see on any road with any of the locals driving, and they met with members of the Taliban in small villages. And he felt, even in those villages under the Taliban's watch at the time, they were still welcoming, the, the actual people were, that is, because of the code of honor. He was a guest there, and their safety had to be guaranteed. So it's just really neat that he got to do this, and I, I it's so wild that being there in person completely changes how you write the story. I think if Brad or any other writer tried to write about Afghanistan, it would be so hard to get it this authentic just through Google maps or research or what you read in a magazine. Exactly. And it's so elevated by what he went through. And, and that's both the deep stuff, but it's also some of the seemingly superficial stuff that ends up coming off as very authentic when I think it's either Baba G or Fontaine, one of them asked Scott, Hey, show me your Afghan walk before we go in. And That was what Brad was taught. Brad was taught you walk with your hands behind your back. You shuffle as if your feet are ice skating without skates on. There's an Afghan gate, and I love how that comes up in the book a bunch of times. Same thing with the clothes that they were wearing, uh, different phrases that they say. The fact that he was able to get all that on the ground with our special ops guys going into villages – wearing the traditional clothing, learning how they walk. He grew out a beard for this, right? He he grew out his beard just uh, for this trip. And then the sunglasses, right? Nothing identifies you as an American quicker than a pair of shades. He learned that when he was there from the guys on the ground, and now he could put it in his novel. I mean, this book felt like the closest we've had so far to a Jack Carr book when he's describing scenes in places like this on the op. And it's also been the closest I felt to a Vince Flynn book where Mitch was on the ground. In Afghanistan. Yeah, yeah, The one that stands out to me is The Last Man. Like, I was reading this book and had so many last man vibes. The way Mitch is going around Afghanistan, meeting different contacts. I think there's a corrupt police chief at one of the crime scenes. He puts up against a wall because he knows they only speak violence there, you know, the Afghan um, police who are corrupt. And it just – I felt like the best of Vince Flynn, the best of Brad Thor, the best of Jack Carr, kind of being being all embedded into one. Combine that with the humor of the team. One of my big wins I want to talk about is Babaji and Fontaine and Flower and Hoyt. We know it's a Thorism to throw together these groups of operators kind of willy-nilly and they only last for a book. And you know right. how these guys come together and joke around with each other. This is probably the best example of that. And that that group, even though we're with most of these guys for only one book, they just are rock solid in their relationship and their jokes and their 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 one-liners back and forth. It's nearly perfect and and I'm I'm really happy with this book.
0: Yeah, and like I said,
1: I I felt Afghanistan as a character
0: in this novel in the sense that he treats it like his appreciation for let's say Paris in yes, you know in the last novel or how he treats anywhere in in switzerland in like lions you know yes. we get that sort of treatment but from like a different kind of lens not like this um uh, touristy lens but you know from someone who was there and you, you know depending on uh, we don't i don't know how long he spent there there's this one scene that really sticks out that when you know that he was there and i'm, I'm guessing this probably happened to him but it's the scene where they're going through a village. I think he goes in to get a Coke, Scott does. Oh, yeah. And he sees yeah, yeah. this old man wearing a black turban of the Taliban. And even though Scott is dressed up in the garb, the guy gives him this piercing look like it just knows that he's an outsider. And for some reason that line like hit harder in the sense that it wasn't like this one-off like lie or, or like fluff added in. Like it was something that was actually experienced either by him yep. – by someone who was told, but it actually it hits even harder than if it was something that was yep. told to him. You know, it, it felt more yep. like he actually experienced whether it was something directly like that or an experience like that. It contributes
1: um, to the tone. It really sets the tone. Yeah. Yeah. He did. He did actually say in the article that they called those seven eleven villages because once you stopped or were seen, you had 7 to 11 minutes before they all called their Taliban brothers. And when we're swarming over you. So, I yeah, I just, it's all real. It's so authentic. You know, and then, so we're talking about Afghanistan being authentic, but equally as authentic is this treatment of our operators over there. Yes. And their experiences, right? And how most of them really do care for the locals. And they got to get the bad guys. And the fighting's going to you know, involve collateral damage, but how most of them really want to, build up the communities want to protect the communities kind of root out the evil that's facing them. And, and the way Brad opens the book, pays such respect to that with a George Orwell quote uh, right before chapter one with the, the epigraph quote, people sleep peaceably in their beds at night only because rough men stand ready to do violence on their behalf. Wow. And I feel like, yeah, I feel like Jack's used that line and then he has a little author's note. And again, this could ring just like ring true just like a Jack Carr author note. Listen to what he writes before opening chapter one. In our nation's war on terror, a new breed of operator has emerged. Passionately dedicated to their craft, they ignore the trials and hardships of their profession and work tirelessly in the face of limited support and bloated bureaucracies to achieve one singular goal, mission success. Motivated by a deep and undying love for their country, these operators willingly face intense danger so that america may remain free once labeled true believers this term no longer applies these warriors have become apostles
0: ah uh, so yeah we don't i was going to ask you we don't get apostles in the novel but i guess we get it in the author's stuff in the very beginning. yeah
1: and and unfortunately this snippet and the quote was not read in the audiobook no by it wasn't Schultz. yeah Dude, how good is that one little paragraph? It's Flynnian. It's it's Jack Carr would take this idea and run with it. That's such a great little paragraph to put before your opening chapter.
0: Yeah, that's unfortunate that, that it's not part of the audiobook. I like how Ray Porter in his audio renditions of Jack Carr novels reads like literally everything, page like yep. cover to cover. Yep. Yeah, I also like in this novel how he he wants to highlight other aspects of our special operators community in the sense you know we've dealt with navy seals a lot obviously um scott former navy seal you know that's just been ingrained we i think we've dealt a little bit with the army but now like this one he wanted to single out like the force reconnaissance marines in the sense how how they're like the navy seals of the marines and also this whole idea of not it's not just america that's over there it's other countries too yeah, the Canadians play a huge part in the stuff. Like the yes. the Americans are not the, the ones that come to save them. It's it's the Canadians that do. I guess the Amer- Americans have the C one thirty gunship at the very end, right. right? But you know, it's the Canadians that have that helicopter that come and save them in that in the canyon when the, or when they're traveling between the villages. Right. It's the Canadian NATO soldiers. That Fontaine is able to liaise with. I like. Yep. I really like Fontaine. Like the good guys are going to get a high score for me on this. Like yes. this idea of Fontaine has to be. A, he's, a, he's a Canadian spy, right? Like,
1: yeah. And then his boss, Captain West. I, I love seeing both the Canadian military liaising with our military to get the gunship, but then also their intelligence service. I feel like it's it's so interwoven and connected so well. And, and yeah, you mentioned the force recon. I love Gallagher's backstory. Yeah. We, we learned that Gallagher is running this private contracting firm and he left the force recon, even though he's not that old, he could have been in it, but for personal reasons, dealing with an incident where they were, that was, that was really tough. It was so, it was so tough. They set up a security perimeter. There's a line of traffic for people to get through. I think it was like a white, Chevy Caprice, I remember all the details, that's how great it was, zooms around the traffic line and is gunning straight for them. And they fire warning shots next to the car, hoping to slow it down. They don't know if this is a suicide bomber, they don't know know the intentions of this driver, but he's zooming towards them at this security stop. And ultimately, Babaji has to put bullets right through the windshield. And when the car stops, a father gets out and he holds his dying son. That he was trying to rush to the hospital. It's his discussion of tactically it was the right maneuver, right? Knowing right. the threat assessment of what they were under, no one can criticize Baba G for what he did, but he held himself to a higher standard and couldn't get over that he watched this little boy die. Yeah. Yeah.
0: To me that story has to be real. It's it's too. Has to be. It's too on the nose to like not to not be real in, in some in some right. sense
1: and we know Brad knows these guys and and met these right. guys and befriended these guys and what they go through it's uh it's 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 done so well to appreciate their sacrifice to understand their trauma and to not just create labels that are easy about someone but to show the whole depth of human emotion yeah no
0: going back to that article you you said you sent up me um that we're going to share there was a little bit snippet about the last Patriot and I, we didn't get to, unfortunately we didn't have this article when we did our last Patriot pod. Yeah. But he received a lot of death threats and there was one quote that, you know, Glenn Beck got a, he's obviously been a contributor on Glenn Beck show as well as Fox news. And so I guess Glenn Beck got an arc and read this novel before their interview and said, you know, please do not publish this novel because you will be dead within a year. And, you know, Scott, sort of took or brad he took it and obviously that novel came out and i I didn't realize thinking about how divisive that novel would have been i mean i guess we kind of we kind of touched on it because again in this this article basically says what we said in the pod how this was very dan brownie and you know this the article says that this is the da vinci code of islam and that book the da vinci code was very divisive in The Catholic community. So it only makes sense that he would have, you know, fatwas put out against him and and it was banned in Saudi Arabia. Yeah. He had to move, he had to sell his house. Very serious stuff.
1: Yeah. And even to book signings, book events, he was told to wear a bulletproof vest by the local law enforcement, knowing the threat against him like, wow. And, and a lot, we said that a lot on the pod, we were shocked because a lot of that stuff was very explosive. It's an interesting transition knowing that's how the last Patriot was received. And then you go to this book, which really has a, a deeper understanding of Islam. I feel he moves away from the religion and more into the culture of the people where I feel like earlier his judgments were about the religion and therefore a condemnation on all the people who follow it. And now it's there's so much to celebrate about the people and the culture of these communities. We could put away the religious extremism because it clearly doesn't apply to them, and we could dig into the code of honor and justice and respect and protection and hospitality that really, really underlines true Islamic society in the villages like we see in this book and can't be undone by the 1% or way less than 1% of extremists who don't have any of those values. And so I, it's a real interesting shift to go from that book to this book. Yeah. It's, it's
0: wild. The fact that these are back to back, like when I look, when we look back on it and, you know, Brad's even said that he's grown as an author, he's tamed down some of his, his takes and you, you could, Definitely see some progression, some learning. He has like one chapter where like it like rings a little bit of Last Patriot, but it you could if he was writing it, yeah, this novel could go a completely different way and like have that you know like that be hammered into you every single chapter to bring up this idea of Islam as a as a religion of not of peace but of you know of violence and stuff like that. And it's not, it's not treated like that. And you know, he even mentions that you know the the Taliban these people didn't pick the Taliban to be, <laughs> to, to run them. They, right. Most of them don't like the Taliban just as much as, you know, we wouldn't like to be ruled by some, you know, government we don't vote for. Yeah. So, and it's not, it's the voice of the few that are loudly spoken. That's what gets portrayed most often. When in fact, yeah. there's a, a lot more people that are part of this religion that are, Nowhere near
1: anything like the most local of the community. And you know what's another one of those kind of haunting makes you just pause and think scenes? And I want to get into the storyline of Julia Gallo and the president and this this whole other thing going on in the background. But, but just to point to what we're talking about, when she as the young doctor working for this aid society and organization is going around village to village. And when she's treating families, she's trying to convince them, why don't you send your girls to school? Education is the key. There's a school a few miles from here. You should be out there going to it. Look, you can stand up to the Taliban. You can stand up to them with your freedom and your exercise of your rights. And everyone just kind of looks at her like she's crazy. Yeah, she's going to get them killed, which she does. She's She's going to get get them killed, which which does happen and her interpreter. This is what I want to talk about. Her interpreter is on her side. You know, he's an Afghan, but he 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 uh, he agrees with a lot of her western values of wanting to bring education and healthcare to the country and he he works with her and she treats him well. She even goes out of her way to pay him well, above board and everything. But he eventually revolts and says, "I'm sick of you and what you're doing" and walks out and says, "Never hire me again." One because she's risking his family. But two, he's kind of fed up with her bullshit, going around and telling families, risk your lives, go out there against the Taliban and fight for your education. All right, Western woman, like, calm down, you know, and I think that's easy for her to say,
0: you know, right, having her money and what, you know, her privilege and stuff like that,
1: you know. But there's a scene where she's in the cell reflecting on that. And you see her come to this deep understanding of. I thought they were naive, not wanting to exercise their rights, yet I was naive, not understanding why they couldn't and why the situation in the moment in their shoes dictated that's not a viable course of action right now if you want to stay alive. And when she was stripped down to survival mode, it was only then that she could empathize and understand what those under the Taliban rule were going through. And just the way her transformation was written, written coming to that understanding that she wasn't going to be, you know, the white Western savior by bringing healthcare and talking about women, women's rights and being a cheerleader, but she had to learn that lesson by really going through it herself and and being kidnapped by these people, and that that's just that's just really deep stuff to get to that level of empathy in a character. Yeah, when she was fighting for her survival, she realized that
0: this is a a daily occurrence for most of these people. You know, it's, it's all about survival for them. And that's been probably the most hardest thing. You know, I I listened to the BBC World Report and, you know, they're, they're always commenting on, you know, what's going on right now in Afghanistan and how, you know, it seems like every other day, like a different grade of girls is no longer allowed to go back to school. And it's, it's sad to see
1: like how far they got and then how quickly that came tumbling down again. Yeah. So since I mentioned it, do you want to get into the new president, Alden? Yeah,
0: yeah. I was gonna say let's um, you know, let's, let's get it. let's let's get that out of the way because I I have a lot of scenes from the Brad stuff I I want to just tackle and I, I don't want to be like taken out of it because literally this book is almost yeah I mean I guess the connection right is is Juliet Gallo in the sense that Scott is set on this mission by her mother Stephanie Gallo, but the whole president along with the um junior secret service Elise Campbell right. storyline it was you know it was interesting it, it just i almost felt like i didn't want it in this novel did it fit like it it i didn't understand like why it needed to be there uh, other than the fact that to to highlight you know it's almost like all right well you can't just have it about afghanistan we have to have some sort of political someone came right. in and was like we have to have some sort of political edge you just have a new president let's you know have him in, you know have him have to resign or something like that. It, it it rang of a of an anthony cook to me like of the last uh, you know uh yeah. mid trap novel we got i don't know like what did you think about this whole idea about how he has the secret and he covered up you know the this affair that he was having in allowed her to drive off, and she ended up killing, like, four people along with herself. Yeah. I mean, the, the the whole detective, like, aspect of it was interesting in the sense of, like, she was a good detective, and, like, I would have read a novel about right. a Secret Service agent who hears something and has to, you know, go into it, but it just, it didn't yeah. fit
1: in this Brad Thor novel. <laughs> so that saved it for me, and I, I had to be a little generous here because... While I was a little perturbed with the fact that it took me out of Afghanistan and the stuff I loved so much with Scott and the boys operating on the ground, I had to realize we're going to move away from that. There has to be another plot line. There has to be another setting outside of Afghanistan. So I tried to say I'm okay with it. But then a few other little things saved it. And one was that detective work. I, I did like this idea of we're not being told the president had the affair. We're not being told he killed her and drive her off a cliff or whatever into Lake Ted Kennedy style, whatever. But (laughs) (laughs) instead it was all told through this junior secret service agent going to Carolyn Leonard, who is like this Titan, this old school, this old guard. Everyone looks up to of a former, you know, generation of class, you know, the classy secret service agent and she trusts her and they, they have a great chat. And then I really liked when she goes out to the Hamptons and she meets with her friend, the, the police detective out there. And she, that, that lady was so New York. It's a so long Island. It's unbelievable. And so I was just enjoying it along for the ride with the mouth that she had on her and describing how she used her looks and was unapologetic about it to move up the ranks and, And she talks about the Yankees and all this. Like, I just thought it was a lot of fun. The detective work and the different people she's going to. And then finally, the reveal is pretty neat that it's like the first lady was involved in this. And different uh, scumbags in the Secret Service were involved in this. this. And what it led to was a cool dynamic of what does happen when an agent on duty hears something. And gets the tea, you know? Do you spill the tea with friends? And there's clearly re- people who do have a reputation of being the ones who want to just gossip. But she's actually doing it for this this code she has which says, I can't do nothing about this. An entire family was killed due to negligence. what these people did. Yeah. This negligence, right, of letting this – she was like what? A new media person on the president's campaign. She was like this young hotshot – probably director of social media would be the equivalent today. And so she has access to the Aldens and the first lady. And I thought the dynamics in the secret service were cool. I'd actually would like to ask somebody like Chris Albanese, you know, of the crew reviews podcast, you know, the way they're talking about, what do you do? If you hear a secret on duty, who do you pass it to? If you do pass it up the chain of command, that just shows you're not doing your job properly isn't your job just to protect and defend at all costs and you don't hear anything aren't you supposed to put the blinders on to stuff like this i thought it raised some in- interesting questions in that regard
0: no i, I agree that like it, it it doesn't totally tank the novel for me and that's why i think like this is probably sitting you know right around top 5 maybe just outside looking in because of that stuff because of this i, I think even one of the senior service secret service agents says like how can we expect to do our job correctly if we, you know, essentially tattletale on these people mm-hmm. be, and then they're right. just gonna push us away. We and then we can't even get closer. Like, we we can't do our job unless we are this this force that can just be beside them and and literally ignore everything. But, you know, I guess those questions are interesting, this idea of You know, the detective work and and how a secret service, young secret service agent would go about doing this, you know, that was compelling. It just like,
1: it It was out of place. I'll agree. The the other
0: thing that like kind of bugged me was the fact that uh, Scott took this job. Mm -hmm. I I guess it shows his respect for the office in the sense that a president, even when he doesn't vote, didn't vote for, doesn't like an American is over there. He's going to, you know, when the money's right, he, he's going to he's gonna take it. You know, if he had known that – if he had known, like, what, what Elise Campbell finds out, do you think he still takes the job? I'm, I'm going to say probably yes, because, you know, Stephanie Gallo is probably – I mean, they don't, like, say she's complicit in it, just like she had the event at her house. But she's definitely helpful in the sense of covering it up.
1: Right, exactly.
0: And – I don't know. That just rubbed me that this idea of like my character taking a job from these corrupt people, but I guess you know that's real life, and you just gotta you gotta sort of compartmentalize yeah. and and move on, especially when someone an American is in danger, and it
1: it's your job to do that. Right. Another angle, which makes it interesting, and again, something I really should reach out to Chris about, is there's a changing of the guard with the presidential transition, and and you and I have both said were really interested with presidential transitions in these thriller novels. Now we're gonna get another one in the next novel. (laughs) Right, that's gonna come up soon. So I really like this idea too of the Exodus, how a bunch of Secret Service quit and Carolyn Leonard is one of them. And while we were built up to really like her in the last few books, she's made a few appearances. She quit, yet director Holland he kind of resents people for it. And so the presidential transition created this divide of those who couldn't personally find it within themselves to do their job for someone that they didn't agree with the politics on or or didn't feel was leading the office of the presidency into the right place. Yet there's those of like Holland who say, that doesn't matter. We put all that aside and we do our job. So- a little bit of a big quote, but it's lines like this that save for me this B plot. So if as B plots go, it's not the best one, and it's certainly not that integrated. You know, but it's definitely not the worst. Yeah, it's not like an A and a B plot. It's like an A and a Z plot. They almost have nothing to do with one another.
0: The only connection, literally, is the fact that Stephanie Gallo is hired Julia Scott. Gallo's mom and hired Scott. Yeah. Like they have they have one chapter together. And That's it. Some correspondence via email throughout, but literally no other connections. Oh, I guess at the end,
1: he sees that Alden resigns like when he's there in the the place. Which makes a kind of cool bookend, right? Because Alden is set up as a president in the beginning who's gutting the special the intelligence, yeah. the, the intelligence community. And when Scott even says we needed major overhauling at the CIA, but this is not it. Gutting it and handcuffing them from doing their jobs is not what we were talking about. Yet this president ran on a platform of doing just that and is now doubling down. So that causes a split between the operators, the way they all cheer at the end, Alden's resignation. You've got like some of our best operations guys cheering and toasting when the president resigns. So this guy's really divisive. And he even splits the Secret Service with this, quote, While Holland would have preferred the president be surrounded by more experienced agents, there had been such a mass exodus after the election, he could do nothing more than make sure that the people that the president did have were the absolute best that the Secret Service could provide. Quietly, though, Holland resented the hell out of his colleagues who had taken early retirement rather than serve under President Alden. As far as he was concerned, they were a disgrace to the Secret Service. No matter how much they didn't care for the new POTUS they should have still been able to carry out their commitment to protecting the person who held the office the exodus had destroyed many friendships and poisoned many more to the point that they were as good as ruined that's is is that real does that happen when a president comes in do secret service members just quit and there's this divide by people who used to be friends yes yeah, so i i was thinking about this because right this is this comes out in 2010
0: barack obama just took over as president two years earlier. So this book was written 2009, the first year of his, or the second year of his presidency, right? So, Like, did this just happen? Yeah, I don't know if it was like something that he had had cooking, you know, wanted to talk about, or if this is something like he found out through sources happening at, at the current time. I don't know, it'd be something, I don't, who knows what, what people would say or if they would say anything. But it raises a good point in the sense that if you have that job, again, how do you compartmentalize this idea right. of you have to respect the office, and you should respect the office, no matter who the person is? Well, you, you you can't respect you don't have to respect the person, but you have to respect the the president. You know, like the, the yeah. office of the president.
1: So, but it's real interesting that we get Carolyn Leonard, who is one of those who quit, and now Holland, who we also like, is saying he despises people like that, like. That's that's a that's a that's a move. It's a harsh quote. It's a very harsh quote. It's, it's got to be real though. Again, just like some of the Afghanistan stuff, Brad's really tapping into something that I bet he's heard from, you know, the real life, opera, the real life characters who. Right. This is their. This is this is real life for them.
0: All right. Let's. Uh. You want to get into some of this Afghanistan plot because it is it is I do. juicy. I really it, do. It, you know, as soon as. Brad gets over there. Scott gets over there. We kick off. We we meet a, a cast of characters. I guess we should also mention that there's this, <laughs> you know, what's the name? What's Wach's brother? They're like the leader of the, like the, uh, like the Taliban. Masood. Masood, yes. Mullah Masood. So there's the, there's this Russian. There's Mullah Masood. He's the one who's taken Gallo. They want to trade Gallo for... Mustafa Khan. Mustafa Khan, you know, this bomb maker. Um, and it's all a plot. Which it, this other there's another detail in here that's definitely a Thorism. Like adding in, I want. I meant to look up to see if the, uh, what was it the Lake of Diamonds or the, the Lake of Glass is like a real I, like story.
1: I couldn't find anything on it.
0: Yeah, is that like one of those faction things that like you definitely like yeah. Brad wanted to throw in there? Like this, I it was it, it again brought me back to when we were reading Blowback. Yeah. And you know H- Hannibal and that kind of stuff.
1: I think it was an attempt at that, and it was really poorly done, and was and just then quickly kind of moved away there. from. Yeah, it was. Like not... It was like a thorism for thorism's sake. Yeah, yeah, uh, I agree. I agree, and that's one of those critiques I have. If it serves the plot, sure, maybe it absolutely did not. Here, it was like, oh, Bin Laden converted his money to diamonds uh, so that he can have a safe store of wealth. That would still be valuable no matter what he gets into. And then those diamonds were hidden in a lake and then something else. And now there's a lot of money in Afghanistan the Russian guy wants. Okay, cool, bro. Can we go back to Scott freeing these prisoners and breaking into jail cells? It makes
0: just as much sense that the Russian wants to take this bomb maker for a plot, you know. Like to do some to do you know to continue the Taliban like mission you know then yeah. that that makes a- even more sense than this idea of trying to use this guy who
1: may know the location of the the Sea of Glass you know anyways yeah there was like two paragraphs three quarters through the book where I had to listen to it three times just to say that's how we're rationalizing everything because <laughs> I was already bought in you didn't have to give me some no you didn't, you detailed didn't need it you didn't need
0: this. it yeah you 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 had me I'm glad it wasn't. It wasn't really brought up again because no. then, then, then it would have like started to go downhill. And then it's like, all right, we put it in there, and then we're we're, we're good. But yeah, so it, Gallo is taken for this this purpose. So then this sets up this idea where Scott now has to go over there. He has to find a way not only to potentially break uh, this prisoner out of Afghanistan Af- Afghanistan control, uh, the, the regime's control, and potentially trade him. Ultimately, what he ends up deciding is that, well, one, I'm going to get this guy out of a corrupt, you know, government, essentially, or uh, not, I don't want to say corrupt, but I guess you could, but a government that may not hold him uh, to the highest standards of, you know, prisoners, as well as I'm going to get back
1: this American prisoner. Yeah, he wants to have his cake and eat it too.
0: Right. Yeah. And I thought it was kind of cool at the end how he. You know, gives over to Aiden Osbect. We get we get Aidan Osbeck back in here. That was cool. He let's him be the that. one to to bring in Mustafa Khan for for yep. the Americans, and he's able to save uh, you know Julia Gallo. He
1: he's Scott saves the day. He saves the day. One thing I thought about was if he can track down Mustafa Khan, who they moved from this one prison he originally thought he'd be at, and they moved him to this holding cell connected by a tunnel underneath the hospital. That was an old part of like a Russian embassy complex or something at one point. And so they have to rely on this old intelligence of these underground tunnels. Really, really cool. But if they're going through all that to track down Mustafa Khan, couldn't they not have just gone through all that to track down Julia Gallo, which they do anyway. So which it's like, they do anyway. Yeah. Was Mustafa Khan kind of a side story to draw out the plot Maybe not because I think it's – actually, I'm talking myself back here because they made some really cool people like Rashid. I think he's one of the first – I think he's a local Afghan uh, cop. He's part of the Afghan uh, police force, but he also liaises with Baba a lot and works with his consulting company. So Baba G trusts this guy, and this guy has intel where Mustafa Khan is being held. So they probably actually didn't have any leads on Julia Gallo at first, and they really only had leads on Khan, so they did need to get him in hopes of doing the trade. But as things develop, I can't remember how the, How do they actually track down Julia Gallo without needing yeah. to dangle Khan.
0: So it's only like when he gets over there, literally like he's – chugging Red Bulls be- and he has to like quickly come up with this idea to break him from the Polish Archie prison. Again, that's in the five facts, this idea of this real prison and uh, reading up, on, if you want to read up on about that, it's a pretty, pretty interesting prison. But yeah, so they, they know that where he will where be, and then, yeah. then they find out that he's being moved to this, you know, ex Russian embassy. And so then they have to go to the hospital. It's through the hospital.
1: That's Right.
0: When he's you know they they have the whole idea at the hospital where they go underground and, and they they take out some people like that scene was cool like when they're going you know they they dress up as as surgeons and, and go super cool. through the grates. but it, you know he saves that one doctor's life in when when they're when they first go to the hospital and it's that that yes. one doctor who comes back to them and says oh by the way right I just treated this boy who had a broken nose and yes. he says that. There's a Western woman they overheard something about a Western woman and like that You're that's right. the oh this is the Western woman. Let's go out to that village and let's see you know if it's not Dude, Julia,
1: then it's another Western woman, you know right. it's another prisoner. I forgot that connection because I really liked the hospital scene of breaking Khan out from the underground tunnels and all of their espionage work and then I also really liked how they were. Kind of canvassing the hospital, trying to see what's what, and they met that one. Was he a marine? One of the doctors, yeah, who was also marine. So now they had a contact who probably knows a little bit what's going on. There's that fight in the the waiting room, and he saves the other doctor from an angry patient who was trying to steal his gun because he told him that his wife was dead. Yeah, right, right, right. Because they got bad news, and he was pissed. But all of that really does connect to the Julia Gallo story, so it makes sense that Scott's just following leads and that's why he couldn't just spring Julia Gallo from the get-go because they didn't right. have that tip. Yeah. Doing the hospital stuff, the operation, the hospital got them the tip that they needed. And then he decided to follow that path, which is when they went to Jalalabad and traveled cross country and which led to some of my favorite scenes, which was when they're in a lot of the smaller villages, finally leaving Kabul, and we really see the Pashtun Valley in action when Scott knows he has to meet with the village elder. I forget the name for the elder in each village. The Shura. The Shura, yeah. The Shura really has to grant permission. And if granted permission, then you're 100% protected by the people of that village. Like, you've been welcomed. The leader of the community, the elder of the community, brought you in and then once that happens Scott actually works with the teenage boy who originally tried to grope Julia and he realizes he's a valuable asset and I really like how Scott was embedded with the locals for like the second half of the book what did you think of all those meetings where they're having tea and they're negotiating and a lot of the locals are like We'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. Can we get an electricity station? Can we get you know a water pump? Some development built for us? And Scott desperately promises, "I will do everything I can to get you these things and the grant money to come through to develop your town, your village." And they have a really honest relationship about that.
0: Yeah, and it it stems from right this uh, this plot orig- originally to go into the the village under the guise of working for this. NGO this clean water action, right. which they do something with wells, and so when he shows up and he actually does an about face it's like I'm not, I'm here about the American woman, and all they're like is like wait so we can't get a clean well like <laughs> yeah you're telling you're telling me we're not gonna be able to get that like and then at the very end is like all right well we'll give you the information but we need we need a well. He's like no no no, no wait I'm I'm not actually from the <laughs> the clean water action. I'm I'm here just to get the woman. He's like then finally yeah. he's like you know if he realizes again like this is something that Brad says in that article what comes through in the novel you the way you gain trust and I think even like one of the the reasons that he brings Fontaine on this mission and Fontaine even I guess, you know, decides to risk his life is because all the connections and, you know, sort of favors he's going to build interacting with these people is going to be great for all of his intelligence gathering in, yeah. in the future, you know, knowing because, because Brad or, you know, because Scott knows that Fontaine is a spy, even though he says he j- yeah. he's just a contractor. Yeah. Those are some of my, you know, my most favorite scenes, You're just being immersed in, right. you know, this area. Um, very captivating. Very like, I, I just wanted to keep reading. Yep. This leads to right when they're rolling up, their plan yes. has to takes a quick snag because you know the Russian killed the father of, of this of this uh, kid who had a broken nose. Yeah, uh, along with two cousins, and this leads to uh, the the NATO soldiers coming around and encircling because they find out that there's three dead bodies. What the
1: hell's going on? And Fontaine pulls the strings again. Canadian right. intelligence gets us what we need uh, again. Another time where all of this comes to a head of needing to build relationships, and I know it comes later in the action, but they, when they really want to get Julia and they're going to snatch her and know where she is, the Taliban have her so heavily guarded, they got to come up with a plan, and that's when Rashtin, another one of these locals, says, since he's been welcomed by the Shura, You can do things like this. He says, look, me and a bunch of guys have been told to bring the Taliban supplies tonight. So they're going to expect his cousin had been told. Yeah, yeah, yeah." they're going to let us through and you can be embedded with us and you can do what you need to do. But we'll take you in. And it's so cool how these four locals pack up kebabs, hot tea, hot soup they wait until it's dark and cold at night so the Taliban might be off guard. They roll up. They treat them with kindness. They serve them all this. And secretly, Harvath and Fontaine are hiding in the back. And I just I just love how, how they sneak in doing that. It's between that and sneaking in around the hospital and in the tunnel, so many really cool – you can't call them action scenes, but scenes of suspense where you're on the edge of right. your seat wondering what's going to happen.
0: Yeah, when they're having to – Shuffle through the village wearing IR. They, you know, yes. those cool like cube strobe, IR strobe things that they place, you know, not only on their vehicle, but, you know, to mark various sites to be either targeted or, or in the case of Zwok, not, not targeted. You know, again, not, not really action, but, but definitely suspenseful. I wanted to talk to you about Zwok, this, this character, how he builds this relationship with the doctor. You know, he's ultimately the brother of, you know, I guess the quote-unquote bad guy. I didn't really feel Masood is like a huge villain. Even though he is the villain, he wasn't like a super big bad. Like, what did you th- – I guess, what did you think about Zwak? What did you think about Masood?
1: So, really liked their relationship. Really liked the dynamic.
0: And I, I it, actually it, would it, call – It humanized him. Like, it, I, it, I didn't feel like he was a villain because of this relationship. You know, he's supposed to be the villain. He's obviously the one who took, you know, kidnapped Julia – but you can see, like he's he's just a human. <laughs> he's he has a brother who he takes care of, who he loves. I don't know it. I, it did something I would, to me. You know.
1: I agree. I agree. There's there's some sympathy there. More more for Zwak, which everyone picks up. on. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why Harvath puts an IR strobe on him so that he does not get killed by the gunship and the cavalry. And Julia takes a liking to him and and really sympathizes with his situation. There is something with the brother giving him this um, weapon that doesn't fire and putting blue tape around it and he feels proud carrying it around and him getting his shoes, right? He loves his basketball shoes uh, that the Russian brings for him and his brother lets him have, but then takes away at the end when he thinks he's been naughty. It humanizes them, but Masoud is still the big bad. He, yeah. He's still, no, a, I know that, he's still like... a big bad. Maybe not on par with like these really, truly sinister – really bad Taliban clerics or mullahs who are so deep into it and radicalized. He's more of your big bad in terms of the kidnapping plot. You know, that's bad enough as it is. It's like a microcosm, you know, of a villain, right? Not take over the world, spread extremism everywhere. Villain. He's also being played by the Russian. So that maybe is how you sympathize a little bit. He is ultimately being controlled by this Russian, but they're in bed together. I think they each see something bigger that they want to achieve. They're not truly dark and sinister, but man, they're willing to kidnap Julia and use her as bait. and You know, the whole thing stinks. So I would call him a villain. I don't have much sympathy. I definitely have more sympathy for Zwak. And I think he's written really well as a character. You know, he's as, as Brad writes mentally challenged. So he has some sort of disability and I like how almost every character who encounters him has some sort of understanding and wants to embrace embrace this guy.
0: Yeah, I think it's just another example of how people like this exist. And I think even right sometimes they're exploited and other times they're, you know, right. brought in, into the community. And it's just, you know, these people are they're people. whether or not they're evil or not, they they are people. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I would agree that he's definitely Masood's the big bad here. But it's it, it's interesting how they didn't choose or, or Brad didn't choose to have like him and the Russian like plotting like another attack or you know plotting mm-hmm. like they were they were trying to get you know enriched uranium to set off a nuke. You know, it right. it, it was it was. I liked how simple
1: it I'm was. Glad. You know, I agree, I agree, I agree. I'm a glad. I'm glad they're villains with a lowercase v.
0: Yeah, it, it, I think like that added to the buy-in. This idea of like, yes. all right, they were really, literally, just after this girl won to trade to potentially get a, a one of their fellow compatriots who is part of the cause, and if they couldn't get him, they were going to take the ten million dollar ransom in the end. You know, like <laughs> exactly, and they're fine so, with that. Yeah, yeah.
1: And maybe, maybe what pushes the envelope of them being bad is when they kill the villager. Who put up a protest that his son was disrespected when uh, when Zawak hit him with a rifle? So there's some like they're sinister. They're going to kill these innocent people and go against the Pashtun Valley code. But it didn't need to be any bigger than that. That was big no, it enough didn't. for these. It didn't.
0: I liked. I like that. Like it. it I this definitely heightens the novel that it it didn't have to be about uranium a nuke you know
1: exactly a A bioweapon attack you know like stealing airplanes yeah Yeah, and they're gonna crash them i was you know what come to think of it that's a big win for this book that brad realized it doesn't have to be the world ending you know apocalypse kind of terrorist plot to be an engaging book it could be a very simple story of the missions that our operators are on on a you know daily basis and that's enough. That That's the real story. Yeah, this reminded me
0: a lot of like, I want to say season four or season five. No, it was season five, four was in Germany, of Homeland, where we're past like the all you know, b- spoiler alert for a show that's been out for a long time, but... We're past like the whole Brody, like he's, you know, a villain and we're into like, she's in Afghanistan and they've, they've kidnapped people from the embassy. And, you know, like that in itself is also terrorism, but it just, you know, I don't know, this idea of not everything has to be doomsday. Right. right you can still have a suspenseful and engaging and, and interesting story and plot in, in one of these, in a
1: novel like this. I I think I call that the... Memorial Day syndrome of like <laughs> it, I absolutely yeah. love Memorial Day by Vince Flynn. I, I forget if I put it first. I very well may have put that you first did. as my you favorite did. book.
0: Mine's consent to Kelly you and yours is Memorial Day.
1: Yeah, and, and I think I you know that, that can be argued about, and I and I'd be open to criticism for that choice. But at the same time, not every book has to do that, right? The final action scene has to be some ridiculous, over the top. A nuke's about to blow up DC. Dude commandeers a helicopter, buries the nuke underneath a mountain, at the last minute gets out, saves the world. I think, yeah, I think power to this book that it doesn't sink to that syndrome of let's just randomly all of a sudden have this world ending plot just because it's going to make it more exciting. No, what's more exciting is there are real people. It's that George Orwell quote from the beginning there are real operators standing by in the night as the sentinels doing what scott is doing in this book and to me that's the ultimate story we don't need the save the world plot yeah